good morning. Please join me in prayer as we come to God's Word. Father, we are here to hear from you and be changed by your Word. Help me to be clear in the way it's proclaimed and help us to hear it as if coming from you. Lord, help us to change as we hear your word together. In Christ's name, amen. I wonder if you have come here full this morning. Not full of breakfast, bacon and eggs and cereal, things like that, but full of fear. What are your greatest fears? If the research is correct, most of you fear what I'm doing right now, public speaking, more than you fear death itself. So be thankful that I'm up here and you're not. (laughs) But what are some of your other fears? You may fear your own security, especially in light of Orlando and some of the things going on in worldwide terrorism. You may fear the direction of our country. You may fear who's going to get elected in the fall. You may fear if you have stored up enough money for retirement. If you're a first-time visitor with us, you might be in the balcony right now and remembering that you have a fear of heights. And if that's so, you can come on down. There's plenty of room in the front. Fear comes naturally to all of us. We don't need to work at it. But we don't just have these macro-level fears, do we? We have interpersonal fears as well, especially as it comes to following Christ and standing up for Christ. We fear not knowing what to say. We fear being labeled. We fear fear being misrepresented. We fear being laughed at. We fear losing relationships. We fear conflict. So my suspicion is this morning that many of us came in full, full of fear this morning. And if so, you've come to the right place because Jesus has the solution for how to live free of fear, to live fearlessly as his followers. According to Jesus, our problem isn't that we fear. It's what we fear that's the problem. Or more specifically, who we fear. So how do we live fearlessly for Christ in today's world? That's what Jesus shows us how to do in today's passage in Luke 12. We're going to be in verses 4 to 7. Now if you're here last week, you heard a great message from Pastor Panner. In the first service, I called him Pastor Penner. So I'm sorry about that, Ben. But Pastor Panner, he kicked off our series in Luke 12, this series we're calling Surprising Words from Jesus About Being a Disciple. And in this particular section of Scripture, Jesus shows us what it means to follow him. And as we look at his words more closely every single week, we will be surprised. And if you missed it last week, the main takeaway was to beware of hypocrisy in our own lives. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And Ben challenged us to give our inner lives to God and asking him to change us from the inside. 
Well, now, starting in verse 4, Jesus continues this speech to his disciples. And there's thousands in the background trampling on one another, waiting to hear this message. We can be thankful today as we read Jesus' words, we've got a microphone system. Nobody's trampling on anybody to hear this message. But Jesus here gives us the remedy for hypocrisy in our lives. And he gives us the cure for our fear of other people. So if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Luke 12, and I'll be reading verses 4 to 7. These are the words of Jesus. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows." So here's the question before us. How do we live fearless lives as followers of Jesus? Jesus kindly shows us the path forward in two steps. Two steps that we're going to talk about in the coming minutes. Step one is that we need to fear rightly. We need to fear rightly, step one. And the second step, we need to trust fully. We need to fear rightly and trust fully fully. Now let's look at that step one, that first step to successful living a fearless life for Christ, and that's that we must fear rightly. As we think about fearing rightly, we all have a problem. Our fearing mechanisms are malfunctioning from the time that we're born. Now this shows up very early, and sometimes our fears are justified early on in life. Like our infant son rightly fears our two-year-old. That is a justified fear. It is true that every infant's worst nightmare and biggest danger is a toddler. We can attest to that. And some of you parents, that's why you're laughing. You know that to be true. But as we grow older, we've already considered this, that our complexities of our fear, they just increase They increase with our age. We fear losing friendships. We fear uh, what's going to happen if we share the truth. If we share the gospel with someone. We fear what others might think of us. We fear being exposed or found out. We are full of fear. And in these verses, Jesus gives the solution for our fear of man. He tells us to replace that fear of man with a fear of God. Replace the fear of man with a fear of God. Now that sounds like such a simple command. But we all know in practice that this is a challenge for each and every one of us. Replacing the fear of man with the fear of God. When we fear others, we are being short-sighted. We're not seeing the whole picture. It's a result of the failure to see reality from God's perspective. 
our tendency is to focus upon this life only, only on the here and now. And because of this, Jesus' words in verse 4 surprise us. Let's read those again in verse 4. What does he say? Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. Now to Jesus' original audience, these words were immediately applicable because he knew that they were going to stand before the rulers and the authorities because of their identification with him. And they would, some of them would suffer and even die because of their faith. Jesus himself would stand before these rulers and authorities in the coming days, those who could kill the body, and he would suffer a brutal death because of what they had carried out. And in 2016, these words are read by Christians all over the world in places like where Daniel and Karis, they're not there anymore, but if they were, Daniel and Karis are serving and many of our missionaries are serving throughout the world. There's a real danger to identifying with Christ even now throughout the world. And I don't know about you, but someone who can kill me Seems like someone I should fear. If someone can, has the power to kill me, it seems like I should fear them. So what's wrong with fearing those who might kill us? Or here in the West or here in Wheaton with those who might make fun of us or might mistreat us or fire us. What is wrong with that? Well, the problem is that when we prize our own protection and safety as our highest value, We end up dishonoring God. We end up being controlled by that fear. And our thoughts and our actions dishonor God. That's what the fear of man does. It robs us of our joy and it leads us into sin. The fear of man robs us of our joy and it leads us into sin. It's a way of living that acts as if life is all that there is. This life is all that there is. But let me remind you that this life is not all that there is. There is life after death. And there is one greater to fear than those who can kill the body. There is one greater to fear than even the most scary terrorist of ISIS. If we are fearing men who only have power over this life, but we're not fearing God who has power over this life and the life to come, we are short-sighted. We have lost perspective. And so Jesus is calling us as his followers to see the bigger perspective, to see the bigger picture. Now, at any stage of life, it's easy to lose perspective, Many of you know that we have five kids under the age of nine. Now, that would be unusual in most churches, but here at College Church, that's just kind of a normal deal. We're just like a middle-of-the-road family, five kids under nine. But we've had many instances where one of my kids will throw a tantrum because they cannot find a toy for the life of them. They'll throw a tantrum, and and in this moment, they're not aware, or at least they're not thinking about the fact that Sarah and I could replace that toy, that we could buy them a new toy, that we could probably find that toy from them because they are so focused on that toy they lost, and the tears and everything is coming down. 
But don't we lose the same perspective with God? In the same way my kids lose perspective with their toys, we worry and we fret and we make plans so that we will remain safe, forgetting that God has control over everything. We forget that he is all-knowing. We forget that he is all-powerful. We are only thinking about the here and now. And so we lose perspective on the bigger story. But here Jesus is calling us to replace our fear of man with a greater fear. He's calling us to fear the one who made us. To fear God himself. So he says again in verse 5, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, viewing God in this way is not popular in our culture. Don't have to tell you that. But here at College Church, we're not concerned about what is popular. We're concerned about what is biblical. What has God said in his word and what do we need to do? Here, Jesus helps to remind us of our need to reacquaint ourselves with the holiness of God. To reacquaint ourselves with the majesty of God. And to reacquaint ourselves with those lesser known characteristics like the wrath of God. Earlier we read from Isaiah 6, which shows very clearly the holiness of God. What was Isaiah's response? Woe is me. Woe is me. We need to frequently go back to these passages that remind us of the full character of this God that we serve. Because when we have a skewed or misrepresented understanding of God, we will not be able to worship him as he demands to be worshipped. And we will not fear him as he calls us to fear. We'll think of him as some kind of grandpa in the sky. Or we'll take advantage of his grace. That's why I love the book of Revelation because it shows us the end. It shows us what is happening and what is going to happen at the end. And it's terrifying to fall in the hands of the living God if you do not know him. Listen to what the Apostle John says in Revelation 6, starting in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful And everyone, slave and free, notice that's everyone we have the tendency to fear. The great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slaves and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? It's a powerful picture. All the people we tend to fear pleading for respite from God's wrath. And perhaps this morning you need a fresh vision of the God of heaven and earth. You need a fresh vision 
of who this God is that you serve. The most powerful war machine on earth cannot touch him. He can never be defeated. He sets up kings. In his hand, his uh, kings are like a stream of water in his hand. He can move them wherever he wills. He has the ultimate power. He has the ultimate authority. He is holy and just. And he is terrifying for those who do not know him, who are against him. Just ask the Egyptians as their country was ruined and their children were killed. Just ask the nations that were defeated by God in the Old Testament. He is a consuming fire and only he has the authority to cast into hell. Now, not many people talk about hell these days. I realize that. I took a quick look at the Christian bestseller list and I could not find any titles about hell in the top 10 of the Christian bestsellers. But Jesus sure liked to talk about it. He talked about it more than he talked about heaven. And here Luke uses the Greek word Gehenna for hell, which came from the Hebrew language that was referring to the Valley of Hinnom outside the city of Jerusalem. This was a place where prisoners' bodies were burned, where there was a garbage dump and there was refuse just being burned. And some people think there was a consistent fire that never went out in this valley. And it later came to be known for, symbolized for God's judgment, for hell. If you have not trusted In Christ this morning, hell is your destination. Why? Because God is holy. Because God is just. And he will punish all evil, including the evil of our own hearts. And he is infinite. And when we sin against an infinite God, we will be punished infinitely forever. So listen again to this direct warning from Jesus. Fear him who after killing the body has authority to cast into hell. In C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a famous interaction between Susan and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Susan was thinking that Aslan was a man. And Mr. Beaver corrected her very quickly. He said, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the woods and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, this terrifyingly holy God is not safe for those who have rejected his son. But he's good. And the good news, the gospel, tells us this amazing truth that this holy God sent his holy son who is himself God and who himself had the authority and the right to judge us and cast us into hell. But instead, this son, Jesus Christ, died for you and for me. He died and he rose from the dead, proving he defeated sin and death. And if we trust in him, we can be rescued. We don't have to fear his judgment. We can have eternal life. And so if you are here this morning, maybe you're just checking out what Christianity is all about. You're checking out the church. Would you take this moment to trust in Jesus Christ? To trust in the only solution against our sin, against our sin, against the holy God. But many of us do trust in Christ this morning. We have been rescued by his grace. Yet, we still have a hard time standing up for Christ. And so I ask you, what is keeping you from sharing this news that judgment is coming upon the whole earth and that there is one solution to this judgment? There is one Savior, there is one plan, and that plan is Jesus Christ. What is keeping you from sharing that with your friends, with your family, with anyone who will listen? Is it fear? Are you afraid? Jesus is warning us that if we want to be free from this fear of man, we need to shift our fears to God, to God himself. As Christians, we're still called to fear. Now, our fear looks very different because we're not fearing judgment any longer because we've trusted in Christ. We're not fearing going to hell, but our fear is more of a reverence and an awe, and it leads to obedience. So what does that look like? How do we grow in our fear of God as Christians? Well, we do that by growing in our understanding of the gospel, by reviewing what we just talked about, what Christ has done for us. As we learn about this holy God and as we learn about this perfect Savior and we ask God to write those truths on our hearts, not just so we can say it so that we know it intellectually, but that we would know it deep to the core of who we are. So are you growing in your fear of God? Are you growing in your fear of God by understanding the gospel at a deeper level, by going deeper with him? I wonder where the fear of man has gripped your heart this morning. Here's a diagnostic question to help you think about where this might be the case. When was the last time you stood up for Christ 
when you perceived there would be consequences? When was the last time you stood up for Christ when you perceived there would be consequences? In a relationship, at your workplace, on Facebook? We will never be fearless as we follow Christ until our fear is rightly placed. We must replace our fear of man with the fear of God. Now, once we fear rightly by replacing our fear of man with the fear of God, the second step in living a fearless life for Christ requires us to trust fully, specifically to trust in God's care for us. So fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us in this terrifying picture of God's wrath because right in the next verses, he shows us the benefits of fearing God, that when we fear God, we have the ultimate security and we have no reason to fear. Listen again to what he says in verses six and seven. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. You see, when we rightly fear God, we can trust fully in his care for us. When we rightly fear God, we can trust fully in his care for us. And to show us that, Jesus gives us two word pictures, one of sparrows and one of hair. First, sparrows. Sparrows were very worthless animals. They were the food of the poor. And here Jesus is showing this argument from the lesser to the greater. If I care about the sparrows, and if I have not forgotten the sparrows, how will I, how will I forget about you? He's showing us how much he cares for us. Why does he tell this story? Because I think he knows that we are tempted to think we are forgotten by him when we go through difficulties and when we go through trials. Who hasn't gone through a difficult trial and wondered, God, where are you? Where are you in this moment? Well, here Jesus is saying that God is there, that he was there, that he will be there that he cares, he hasn't forgotten, and he values you. How much more are you cared for by your heavenly father who cares about these little sparrows? He loves you. And that love could spur us to a fearless faith. And as if that story wasn't enough, Jesus uses a second word picture to show that God knows us so intimately. He uses this image of hair, that he has numbered the hairs of our head. Now, I don't know how many of you have red hair in this room, but I did a little research, and redheads, you probably have about 90,000 hairs on your head. And if you have brown hair or black hair, you probably have 100 to 110,000. And if you have blonde hair, this is fascinating, you probably have about 150,000 thousand hairs. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with all that information, but you can take that and uh, have a trivia time at a dinner party. But what is the point that Jesus is trying to say here? 
saying he cares about the very smallest details of your life, the very smallest things that you don't even care about. Who cares about how many hairs we have? Well, God does. He cares how many hairs you have, and he knows when one of them has fallen to the ground. Listen again to Psalm 139, this wonderful passage of Scripture that shows us how intimately God knows us and loves us. The first few verses. Psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Friends, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ right now, when you are fearing God rightly by trusting in his son, You can be assured that he knows everything about you, that he cares for you, and he will never forget you. He is sovereign over all. He has the authority to cast into hell, yet he knows you intimately, and he loves you. Maybe you need to be reminded of these truths this morning because you are shackled with fear. Or because you have recently received a difficult diagnosis. Or because you're battling depression. When we consider how much God loves us in light of his infinite glory, his infinite power, we can be fearless. So whatever fear is dogging you right now, hear Jesus' words directly to you. Fear not. For you have more worth than many sparrows. So what does it look like to follow Jesus without fear in this world? Well, we've got plenty of examples throughout all of the biblical record and through all of church history. One of my favorite comes from the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know this story. They did not bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so they were sentenced to the fiery furnace. And as they were about to be thrown in, this is what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew how to fear God. As we look through church history, we look at the fact that we have an English Bible is a testimony to those like John Wycliffe and others who sacrificed their life, who feared God above man so that we might have this word in English. Will you be the next in line? Will you be one who will fear God out of reverential awe to risk for his kingdom? When we fear God, it will affect the rest of our lives. 
it will bear fruit in our lives because this is the way that God has designed it to be. This is how we were designed to live. So here are a few benefits of our life when we fear God. Number one, when we fear God, it will help us find true wisdom. Proverbs says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Second, when we fear God, it will help us to fight sin. You remember the story in the Old Testament when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. She tried to seduce him, and this is what he said. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I wonder how many of you right now are struggling with a temptation to sin sexually or a temptation to sin with your mouth or sin in some other way. When you fear God rightly, you can say when that temptation comes, when you want to go after it, you can say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it's not our power doing this. This is the Holy Spirit that has been given to us that will give us the victory. So fearing God helps us find true wisdom. It helps us fight sin. It also strengthens our relationship. When we fear God, it strengthens relationships. Because when you fear God, you will serve your spouse even when she or he does not deserve to be served. You will do the same with your siblings and your friends and your coworkers because you want to please the king. And fearing God also transforms our work and our play. So when we fear God, we're not looking over our shoulder to see if our boss is looking and wondering what we're doing. When we have free time, we're looking to please the one that we serve, not just please ourselves. And so we have integrity in everything that we do because we fear God. When we fear God, we're living as we were created to be. And we can trust him fully to care for us no matter what life throws at us. So that brings us to the overarching point of this passage here in scripture. And it's this. Fear God and you'll have nothing to fear. Fear God and you'll have nothing to fear. As we close, I want to ask this question that I began with. What are your biggest fears? What are your biggest fears? According to Jesus, if you rightly shift your fear of man to the fear of God, and if you trust fully in the Lord's care for you, the Holy Spirit will empower you to live a fearless life for him. And I know many of you out there right now, and I know that you are living fearless lives, and you are an example for us all. And the word to you is to continue. Keep fighting the good fight. But some are shackled right now with fear. You're afraid to stand up for Christ. Hear this call from Jesus himself. Fear God and you'll have nothing to fear. As we do this in community, as we live fearless lives, we will be a church on fire. We will be a church that transforms the city of Wheaton, that transforms DuPage County, not because of us, but because of the spirit in us. Because as we are fearlessly standing up for him in our workplaces, in our friendships, in 
are gems in the public sphere, there's no limit to what God might do. Fear God and you'll have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. You are worthy of our fear. Lord, we honor you. We are in awe of you. We want to worship you because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, the fact that we can be in your presence because of Jesus Christ is the most amazing truth in the world. Lord, help us to rightly fear you as you've called us to, that we might live fearless lives wherever we go. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.